Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to a mini-episode of Cinematic Universe, the podcast that is all about comic book movies, which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and I'll be bringing you a truncated version of the show to bridge the gap between our X-Men and Doctor Strange episodes. I'll be giving you my reactions to the comics that Seven James recommended on last week's podcast, uh, which were basically a whole heap of X-Men goodness from across the years. Um, But before any of that, let's take a look at some of the comic book movie news that has broken over the past few weeks. And actually, in regards to those last few weeks, we should probably do a bit of housekeeping um, before we get into the news. So if, like the subject of our next podcast, uh, Doctor Strange, um, you are in any way concerned by the concept of time, uh, you will have noticed that um, our X-Men podcast showed up a week late. Um, And if you don't follow us on social media, you probably might wonder why that was. Um, Basically, we had huge technological issues on our end in um, my section of the audio was completely corrupted and um, I had it in six second bits and had to kind of reassemble it and record extra bits. Um, We managed to salvage the podcast and put it out there and I'm really glad we did because um, it was one of my favourite chats that we'd had for a long time. So we thought that rather than missing an episode or trying to re-record it and make it sound anywhere near as natural as our original discussion was, we would spend a little bit more time putting it together. Um, that also knocked back the mini-sode because I spent a lot of time trying to put that episode back together and wasn't able to read the comics as fast. But we are all caught up now. This mini-sode um, is obviously, you're hearing this now, uh, we have already recorded our Doctor Strange episode, which should be with you within mere days, and we have a very special guest on that one too. Um, that's a great discussion, and um, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy that one. And we are just about to record our Luke Cage bonus episode as well um so that should land at some point either this week or next week um around all of the other stuff so after a bit of a sparse couple of weeks we are going to have a lot of podcasts coming up so um thank you for bearing with us and um yeah hopefully you will enjoy what we've got for you in the next couple of weeks um but now we'll get to some actual news and some films that are even more um slapdash and disorganised and unorganised as our own podcast because, well, let's start with The Flash which has lost its second director 
uh, Rick Famuyiwa has left the project over creative differences. Now, you may remember that Seth Graham Smith was um, originally slated to direct this film. Uh, this is a film that also um, had Lord and Miller working on it early on, um, and we didn't know whether they might direct. But so this is um, another filmmaker who has left that project in the DC movie universe, which is supposed to be filmmaker-driven. Now, you may remember that Wonder Woman had a late change to its... Um, its director as well, with um, Michelle McLaren being replaced by Patty Jenkins. So this is becoming a bit of a thing for DC, and the fact that this is over creative differences and that the producers won out over the director should be concerning if you do buy into the idea that this is a filmmaker-driven universe, um, which is proving um, a little bit hard to believe right now after... Zack Snyder's really the only constant and other than that we had a Suicide Squad movie that looks like it had been drastically recut leading up to its release. Um, so, I mean, fingers crossed for The Flash because The Flash remains my favourite TV superhero character and I love Ezra Miller and I liked some of the casting that Rick Famuyiwa had been doing. Um, he brought in B Billy Crudup, he brought in one of the stars of his film Dope to play um, Iris West in his movie so hopefully they can find someone and find someone good and hopefully there is some kind of vision for what this movie is whether that's what the producers have in mind or what a new director will come in and pitch we're yet to find out um but yeah fingers crossed that the flash can sort something out but at the very least i would not be surprised if this film was slightly delayed now especially given the more and more we're hearing is that the Batman solo movie is probably coming sooner rather than later. Another movie that is having troubles with its director is Deadpool 2. Because Tim Miller, who directed the first film, who wasn't officially on board to direct the sequel, but was developing it along with its producer and star, Ryan Reynolds, has departed over creative differences reportedly with Ryan Reynolds himself. Now... A lot of people have said, where did Ryan Reynolds get all this power from? But he was pretty instrumental in getting the movie made in the first place. He pressed for it for a long time after Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick had written that script. And, um, you know, you can see from that character how much that is influenced by Ryan Reynolds' kind of persona as a celebrity as much as anything else. So um, I'm not at all surprised that the studio have in the case of do we go with the director or the star producer have lent with the star producer in this case um what is interesting is what was they were rumored to be clashing about which was the casting of cable and kind of the tone of the movie that that casting implied the rumor was that tim miller wanted to cast friday night lights's um kyle chandler as cable which would have seemed like very interesting casting to me um but that's apparently not what ryan reynolds wanted um that may be complete hearsay, but that was what was being rumoured in the trades. Um, the new rumours are that John Wick director David Leach, I think it is, is the front runner to replace him. Uh, they were originally reporting in Variety that he had been hired, but apparently he is just the front runner for now. Um, and apparently the studio are also looking at a huge number of names for the role of Domino, which is going to be the other major new um, role in the sequel alongside Cable. Now, this is a huge and diverse risk, um, list of names, and I would imagine that whichever director comes in is going to have some influence over which one 
is cast, um, if it is indeed one of these. Uh, but the names we have so far are Sienna Miller, Lizzie Kaplan, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, Kelly Rohrbach, Ruby Rose, Mackenzie Davis, Eve Hewson, Sophia Batella, Stephanie Sigmund, and Sylvia Hoax. And um, I, I think I know most of the names on that list, maybe one or two that I'm not too familiar with. Um, but the ones that I am, I mean, I, I find it difficult to believe that Kelly Rohrbach is up for the same role as Mary Elizabeth Winstead, for instance, or Sophia Batella, the same one as Sienna Miller. So um, that suggests to me that maybe this is maybe a Ryan Reynolds list and a Tim Miller list, <laughs> given everything else we've heard about the film. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't place too much stock in those names so far, especially seeing as um, Mackenzie Davis has distanced herself from this role, um, I think, a couple of times in the past. So Deadpool 2, we'll wait and see what director it gets, but then I imagine we'll start to hear some cable and domino casting falling into place. Um, all of the rest of the news is a little bit small from here. Um, Taika Waititi has confirmed the inclusion of the Planet Hulk character of Meek in Thor Ragnarok. Um, if you listen to our Planet Hulk episode, um, you'll you'll probably remember that we are um, quite fond of that character. He's a very good character in the Planet Hulk arc, and um, it's fun that he will be showing up in some form in Thor Ragnarok. Um, Incredibles 2 uh, was due to be released in 2019. It will now be released in 2018, which um, means we should probably hurry up and do the Incredibles 1 on the podcast soon, doesn't it? Um, which I've been looking forward to doing for quite a while, because it has that reputation, as I'm sure a lot of people know, of being the best Fantastic Four movie whoever to make it to the screen um and next i just wanted to add this in this isn't particularly news um the defenders has started filming and obviously on our last podcast we had um, a lot of speculation about who sigourney weaver's character may be and um when we were on recording something else james said to me on skype he was like by the way i figured out who who um, sigourney weaver's playing like uh, who she must be playing she's gonna be playing satana and I was like, oh, right, tell me who that is and why why that might be possible. He's like, well, she's kind of like the female version of Mephisto in the comics, but she also isn't kind of a big deal like Mephisto is um, or is maybe more a kind of character that Marvel would be willing to let show up in The Defenders, whereas Mephisto, they probably wouldn't. And um, then I got thinking, I play the... Um, iOS game Avengers Academy and Satana is a character who has shown up on that recently as is Robbie Reyes's Ghost Rider and I think it's sometimes fun to look at kind of the little ancillary things that Marvel are doing and go huh that's interesting that you might have thrown that character in for use right now might you be wanting audiences or you know the you know the the kind of comic book nerdy kind of people like me who would play a game just to be vaguely aware of who that character is um so the current cinematic universe thinking is that Sigourney Weaver will play Satana in Defenders um and just probably by the time this podcast has come out will have been proved wrong on that but hey ho um and speaking of James but also Seb um for our last little piece of news we're going to flash back in time to last week um because we haven't yet talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Logan trailers that were released online um, either last week or the week before now. It's been a while, um, but we figured because Doctor Strange is an episode that wasn't going to have any news on and because we all kind of, I think Seb particularly, wanted to talk about those trailers, that we'd convene for a short discussion about those and um, 
I just basically edit them into the episode. So we're going to flash back now. This is James and Seb and I last week discussing those two trailers. Okay, so I am now joined by Seb and James, and we have got a couple of trailers to talk about. Um, so there is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Logan. Um, we, we got any preference about which one we, of these two we want to hit first, you guys? <laughs> let's do the very short one first. Yeah, <laughs> let, let, let's do Guardians, because there's... While while it excited me hugely, there's probably less to say about that one. <laughs> no, there's yeah. almost nothing to say about it. Like, they did very well <laughs> to release a trailer that showed you basically nothing about the film. Well, I I, um, I, mean, I, I did find it amusing that we got these two trailers, um, and I think they're both indicative of one movie that has nothing to prove or to sell you on, and a movie <laughs> that has everything to prove and sell you on. I mean, yeah, the, the the Guardians trailer is the trailer of a film that already knows that it's going to make a billion dollars no matter what happens. Mm. It's just that supreme confidence that comes with doing what the first film did. And it's I think we talked before about how like it's a confidence that I worry could be its undoing, but just you know just seeing those characters again and i saw some people criticizing that it was a slightly lazy choice to just use the same music again but it the is. whole point is it's a <laughs> well no it is lazy the entire trailer's lazy i don't even think james gunn probably put it together i think someone in the in the disney marketing department just went oh we need to put out the first trailer for guardians ah it's, we don't really want to reveal any proper footage yet. Should we just? We'll just literally remind them of all the things they liked about the first one, but, but in a mm-hmm. new context. I it's mean, fine. that's thinking it's about fine it as a in terms of technique, but it's not particularly exciting. Uh, well, it's, no, but it's. I mean, that's thinking about it in terms of the trailer that we will all rush out to go and watch on the internet. The trailer that they're going to show in the cinema as a trailer that they're going to show in the cinema to to remind your average moviegoer that there's a new Guardians film coming. I think it's perfect in terms of you see the characters and it plays that bit of music and it it, it triggers. It's a, you know, it's it, it's an audio cue to trigger your feelings about the Guardians of the Galaxy films, you know. Um and yeah, they could have, you know, gone and picked something new and and done an on the nose music choice from the second film soundtrack but i liked that it's got that cozy familiarity i it's another one of these things that i think this film has earned the right to do that this film has earned the right to be your friend and to be like cozy and familiar you know well my um, friend is gonna need to put in some more effort next time <laughs> it's, well, it's okay, like, but i kind it... of i don't i don't begrudge a movie showing nothing in the trailers because in an ideal world all of these big movies would be able to keep all its surprises from you Having said that, the like, I think the reason why hooked on a feeling, I was kind of like, huh, oh really? That again? Because, uh, the, because there's nothing new in the trailer whatsoever. Just one thing, something a little bit fresh would have been nice. And even if it had just been a glimpse at like Mantis, would have been mm. because supposedly that's a new member of the team. Um, and I the think fact they, that the, well... the poster is the characters that we've seen before as well. I just. Just just anything. Something tiny would have been fine. There is, there is something tiny in you. And I'm not talking about the fact that Baby Groot, because we had Baby Groot at the end of the last <laughs> film. Well, I think there is, well, there's something that the poster kind of makes clear and that I think the trailer then adds to as well is the fact that um, Nebula and... Um, Yondu. Uh, Yondu uh, actually seems to be... They're going to be joining up with the team this time. Secondly, uh, Yondu's Finn. 
that's new. That wasn't in the first film, and that's in the trailer. But that's one of the few things new. that the um, Comic Con let uh, like lockdown was able to because re- because he came out on stage with the fin on. That yeah. was something that everyone. So it, I get yeah, it's it's a fine it's fine as a trailer for you know people that just need to be reminded that there's a movie out. But in terms of me getting more excited about the film, if anything, it made me go yeah yeah it's still coming and I mean I'll, I- I'll see it when it comes out. I do agree with you that it, you know, it could have showed maybe like a character that we hadn't seen before, and it could have maybe had like the boys are back in town or something. But, (laughs) but, um, like, I just like that it just had this reassurance of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is basically going to be like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Not volume one, but you know, like Guardians of the Galaxy. And if that means um, that's what that I want to it, know about this film at this point. Basically. But if that means ambitious and um, you know uh, fresh and exciting, that's great. If it means resting on laurels, that's not so good. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's the that's that's the counterpoint for me from this trailer. It worried me. It worried me that they were going to trot out the same I mean, thing again. Also, this, I mean, are we, okay, we're quibbling over semantics, I suppose, but they haven't called yeah. this a trailer. This is a, a sneak peek or a first look. This yeah, is you a, remember this the first a trailer. The first film. It doesn't show you anything. The first <laughs> film, when they rolled out Hooked on a Feeling and the Peter Serafinowicz, John C. Riley like mugshots, that wasn't originally going to be a sequence from the film. Um, that was just something that they'd shot bespoke for the trailer and Hooked on a Feeling wasn't definitely going to be on the soundtrack. It was just, it struck such a chord with everyone and Peter Serafin, it was his a-holes line. That announced that movie and suddenly everyone went, oh, holy shit, this looks fun, this looks different. And that was yeah, but the that opposite film feeling to, to what I got that. this time. This yeah, no, it's, it's fine as a marketing technique, Seb. I just can't get anywhere near it. <laughs> this is this is why we get it. accused of being Marvel fanboys. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but if you want to actually, as I don't know if, if you've got more you want to say about this one, but I think there's a quite nice segue to a film that absolutely did need to convince people that it's going to be worth seeing with its trailer. Um, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs to convince us because we've had two Wolverine movies. Uh one is an absolute clusterfuck. Um <laughs> and the other one um I think showed some ambition and tried to do something different but ultimately let itself badly down. It's a I mean I know we haven't done it on the pod yet but it's a solid three-star film that's ultimately almost completely forgettable. I I the first two-thirds are really good. Or, or, at then, least, or at least, or at least, yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're like the first two thirds of the Wolverine are kind of what I want out of a Wolverine solo story, and then the third is him fighting a CGI robot. <laughs> you mean yeah. that's not what you want out of a Wolverine story, James? Mm, I'm not shocked. Really. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I was I was reading the trailer breakdown um, for this um, on Empire's website. Uh, James Mangold was breaking down the trailer for them. Um, And he basically straight off the bat says that his intention with this trailer and with the choice of Johnny Cash playing over the top of it as well, um, you know, was to mark this out as a different kind of superhero movie that (laughs) this this was not going to be, you know, no orchestral scores, no kind of bombastic music. This was a different feel. Um, And it is one of the most overplayed songs um, I was gonna say, like, in, in this speaking... kind of context but it's but it's great and it does it does do that job well, of separating yeah, this like, from speaking a of soundtrack of choices like 2016 yeah. is the year of the most obvious songs appearing I was in the gonna, most yeah, obvious like, places 
play, playing an incredibly on the nose choice of pop song over a trailer for a superhero movie is not being distinctive and different. It's doing what they all do. No, now. no, but the, but it does it does <laughs> but, evoke a feeling no, this is of thing. this I mean, is it doesn't it you don't look at this and go Oh, that looks like X Men Apocalypse. I know, totally. And I, 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 I said this on Twitter. Like, on the one hand, I'm already slightly sick of this trend, which, to be fair, Guardians of the Galaxy is responsible for, and which Suicide Squad ran into the ground. Um, this trend of oh, look at this this popular song that we've chosen that fits this really well. However, I think this trailer gets away with it because it's such a great choice. Because it's such a great choice in terms of being apt. Also, it's not a song that you would expect to hear on a movie. Okay, it is an overplayed track, but, you know, using Bohemian Rhapsody, that fits a movie trailer. Hurt, you have to cut your trailer together really well to make it fit that piece of music. For me, it kind of um, the reason it kind of works is because Johnny Cash makes it feel like a sort of Western. Yeah, exactly. Well, I it's got... I mean, it just fits the tone Yeah, exactly. It creates a it? different tone, like especially as well. Like, I'm reminded of Zack Snyder's last good film, Dawn of the Dead, <laughs> like which opened with Johnny Cash, um, and it gave it a kind of apocalyptic feel. So you get the sort of post-apocalyptic Western, which is, you know, that's the old man Logan story. Mm. So if they're and doing your future Wolverine story, that's the kind of feel I want to see from it. And you've got the trailer getting across this idea of Wolverine is old and in pain and appears to have lost his healing factor and like everything he does hurts and it's you know you know and and hurt as a recording is you know a song sung by an old man who knew he was about to die and that's <laughs> what this film appears to be well this film seems to be about two old men who know they're about to die so because yeah, that's yeah, the other yeah. thing I found really interesting about this trailer was. I didn't know how big a role Xavier was going to have in this film. Huge, it looks like. Yeah, or maybe just... just. I mean, it looks like it's going to be a movie where Wolverine is caring for a makeshift family and he is part of that family. Although, if I had to, if I had to guess, dies in the second act. <laughs> and Wolf, yeah, probably. Wolverine what? bags it right at the end. I don't... Uh, okay, should we, should we lay our bets then? Because I don't think he's going to die. Okay, um, I really I'm, don't. I'm I mean, really confident that he's not going to die in this film. I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I think everyone's going to think he's dead, but I don't think he's going to die. You've got multiple timelines. You could kill him and still bring him back <laughs> whenever you want. Um, I, I uh, this, this is the kind of trailer that for me makes me feel. Oh, I'm interested in this movie, and I think it has the potential to be good. Um, but it's almost, it's one of those trailers that, <laughs> yeah, it has the potential, but I also see no proof or nothing to make me confident <laughs> enough that I it, there's there's enough kind of warring elements in this trailer like that I, I can look at this and say oh it looks like a yeah post-apocalyptic you know uh, two dying men uh, kind of somber atmosphere you know they've saved the world so many times and now it's kind of beyond saving and I, I'm and, and that's interesting and then there's a bloke with a cyborg arm and there's fights in the forest and I'm like ah, how different is it going to be and how is he <laughs> going to be able to manage these two tones because I saw James Mangold start off a movie which was a little bit more low-key with Wolverine and then absolutely explode it in the third act with just nonsense with just absolute nonsense um so yeah i'm intrigued it, this definitely upticked my interest and i could see it potentially being a very good film i'm i'm just not you know i'm not gonna sit there and go i am now super excited for logan i'm just 
yeah, okay, that looks different and that's refreshing. And actually, in a world where you've got six or seven superhero movies every year, different is good. I actually, I mean, it upticked my interest as well, but I think to the extent, I think, okay, I mean, I would share your reservations in that we don't really know how representative um, the trailer is actually going to be of the film and it could still have all kinds of problems. But I think this trailer did about as much as any trailer can in terms of the level to which it upscaled my interest in this film, which yeah, was, I think that's fair. you know, before the poster, it was negligible. After the poster, it was, as we discussed on, on the X-Men episode. After that trailer, I mean, I I feel a little bit invested in this film now. I want <laughs> to see what happens. I really like the idea of it potentially being a, an old Wolverine and Charles Xavier road movie. Um, I just think immediately, like, you know, I want to see that dynamic with the two of them in that car. <laughs> um, I think it looks like what they're doing with X-23 is exactly what you would hope to see in terms of bringing the Wolverine story in these movies full circle. And again, we it, we really timed that X-Men episode really well in terms of talking about <laughs> Wolverine and his arc and Wolverine with younger female characters that he has this protective relationship with. Um, go and listen to the podcast if you haven't, guys. It's a, um, you know, I think we've got some good discussion on that front. Um, and, and also, you know, Again, having talked about actually having followed the journey of Hugh Jackman's version of Wolverine, um, okay, there's been missteps and he's been woefully used in some cases and just used for no good reason in other cases. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I want to see a satisfying end to that story. I think he's earned it with what he's done with the character. Um, I look at how he comes across in that trailer and I feel like it's going to engage me emotionally um so i mean it, yeah it could just be a bunch of fighty dross in the desert but um i think it looks really interesting and, and um, i'm really keen to dross, see it now our rated <laughs> yes dross as we yeah i didn't wolverine's uh claws rip through someone's skull yeah, I, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that there was a red band trailer until a few minutes ago. Actually, when I when I went to rewatch it, I saw. The I mean, that's basically the that only difference, a, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's just that one shot, but it is quite a. <laughs> it's quite a shocking. One. Yeah, it is quite yeah. shocking. Um, it, it Given that most of the time, yeah, we've we've only seen him. You know, it suggested that he's doing that rather than, uh, or that he's about to rather than actually doing it. So. Mm. I was just thinking um, to myself today, it's lucky that Wolverine's got a healing factor because surely for all these horrible men that he's fighting and sticking his claws through and then retracting into his body, he must be getting some nasty diseases through the blood <laughs> that's getting into him. So it's a good job he's got that healing factor as well as the claws because um, if you only had one, that would be potentially problematic. God, that really sounds like something that Mark Miller would do. I mean, Mark Miller did a Wolverine <laughs> run and he wrote Old Man Logan and as far as I know, he didn't work that into either of them. So just don't give him any ideas in case he ever goes back <laughs> no, on Wolverine. I'm going to tweet him. Yeah, I was just going to say, just before we leave Logan behind, by the way, um, I just wanted to bring up um, a debate again from our previous episode. Um, now, admittedly, the poll has still got 17 hours to go at the time that we're recording this but I put our argument of last week to a poll on Twitter of our listeners as to whether Logan or Old Man Logan should have been the title of the film and at the moment it's 58% Logan and 42% Old Man Logan so it's yeah. closer than I would have expected but you didn't put um, my option down there Seb 
What was your option? X-Men Origins, colon, Logan, colon, Old Man Edition. (laughs) You're right. I'll do a new poll that includes that, and then maybe it'll go 58%, 41%. (laughs) The only statement I want to make on that is just look at how the Brexit vote went, and that tells you what it's like to be in the majority at the moment. So, to be clear, you're saying that the majority of our listeners are wrong. I'm saying democracy doesn't work full stop, and what we need is a benign dictatorship headed by me. <laughs> yeah, then you might actually win the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Most, like, suddenly, I'm most excited about Logan, because... Ahead of everything. I really want a good X-Men movie. <laughs> I just want a good X-Men Like, that's all I want. It's been 16 years... Um, at this point, I've decided that I do not care about X-Men, um, any any kind of continuity in the franchise. Just, it's gone, screw it. This Logan, it doesn't, I don't care what version of Professor X it is or what timeline it's in, and I don't care that um, Stephen Merchant's probably playing Caliban, even though literally six months ago a different actor played Caliban in a movie. Um <laughs> I, I just I don't care Deadpool doesn't have to connect to the other movies don't make any effort to do it just keep making X-Men movies and set them all in their own individual continuities and that's fine because I just I can't anymore I don't care do you remember how at the end of the Wolverine his claws get cut off and they're bone yes and then, and then it just changes back to metal and it's like nothing happened I feel like maybe James Mangold and uh, Brian Singer hate each other and just refuse to speak <laughs> <laughs> that's the only <laughs> because they're not talking Are you... Are... he used Caliban earlier but Caliban's all through my script do you want that actor? no I want Stephen Merchant okay fine, fine. Yeah, I hope he has his own accent uh, what's Stephen Merchant's own accent for Caliban yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that would be fun Apparently he's going to be helping Wolverine uh, take care of Professor X. You know, my theory for that is that Professor X is going to be bedridden for the entire movie and it's going to be an astral projection that's helping Wolverine. He he does seem to be living in a form of Cerebro in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. And then Caliban's going to be helping track down... Like, already, that doesn't make any sense. Like, there's a line in that trailer (laughs) going, there there aren't any more mutants or something, and then it's like, well, Caliban's in it, and Wolverine's in it, and X-23's in it, and Professor X is in it. That's a lot of mutants for a world without mutants. (laughs) Uh, You're tearing down your unanticipation already, James. (laughs) It's what we do. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, um, good trailer chat, guys, and um, thanks for having us on the minisode. <laughs> it's, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> Feels weird. I'm getting a nosebleed being on here. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. I'm still not convinced you're actually here. I'm just so used to speaking to myself, talking into a microphone to myself. But I'm not on my own, am I, listeners? I'm never on my own. When you're on the other end of a pair of headphones, you're never. <laughs> you're, you're never alone when you've got a fluorescent light. Okay, back to the mini-sode. Okay, so we're back in the present now, and um, we are now going to take a look at the comics that Seb and James recommended on last week's podcast. And we'll start off with Seb, who recommended New X-Men, the run from Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley, and there is also some Lionel Yu artwork in this... um, in this collection as well. Um, so this is um, 
the start of Grant Morrison's work on New X-Men, which um, includes Ears for Extinction, which is the first three-issue arc, issues 114 to 116, and also the New X-Men Annual 1, um, which I think comes directly after this, um, but before the next issue. Um, and this is... Um, I also got a... T- a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Text from uh, regular or, or from one of our former podcast guests, Reese, um, who was like, oh, I'm looking forward to hear what you think of that because that is literally my favorite comic book ever um you might remember he recommended some grant morrison on the podcast before big grant morrison fan and was very keen to hear what i thought of this um but yeah so i think it's probably best to just start off with um a little bit of setup um although this comic does kind of just throw you into like a status quo of the x-men and i'm not sure whether this followed directly on from what was happening before with a different writer but we have a team here um of beast who looks particularly kind of like cat-like in this skies. Uh, Marvel Girl, Jean Grey, uh, Wolverine, Cyclops. Um, we get some Emma Frost, although not immediately. She kind of joins the team midway through and uh, Professor X. And um, I read this and kind of found it very unsettling throughout. There's, there's something kind of creepy about the whole thing and there are big kind of horrendous events i mean this arc is called ears for extinction um so there are kind of big earth changing events in this comic but it it almost wasn't that that i found unsettling it was just the whole vibe of the comic and not feeling like i quite knew what was going on but not in a way that i wasn't up to speed in a way that i felt that the the comic was kind of um, a couple of steps ahead of me and that things were um, however dark they looked on the surface even darker underneath so the comic starts with Wolverine and Cyclops saving this um, very ingeniously designed mutant who isn't mutant who has particularly any cool powers he just kind of has three faces on his face but that's literally one page where we see this happening and we then flash to 30,000 years earlier um, and there's kind of all these Neanderthal men fighting and attacking 
um, and a masked, well, a character wearing a helmet whose face is obscured, talking to another man. Um, so yeah, this this has the the masked character, and this is literally page two of the comic saying, "Science calls them Homo sapiens superior, the mutants." You saw my findings. The human race will be just as extinct as Neanderthal men within four generations. Unless we fight back before it's too late. Unless we exterminate the mutant gene once and for all. Humanely, of course. And the guy she's talking to seems like a bit of a sap. And he says, but Miss Nova, I'm only a dentist. Um, So we don't know who Miss Nova is at this point. Um, And then the comic kind of is flashing between x Men kind of stuff and this mysterious Miss Nova throughout the comic. Um, there's unpleasant stuff happening throughout the... <laughs> Say unpleasant. There's just this uneasy feel of and, like, weird Grant Morrison imagination stuff that I just would never occur to me. Like, um, Cyclops turning around and saying, can you please not smoke on the on the jet, Wolverine, when they're in the plane? And Wolverine's like, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's not me. That's my face. <laughs> My face is still kind of on fire from the uh, from the fight with the Sentinels, and what you can smell is my skin burning, and my healing factor hasn't fully caught up with it yet. Um, so that's the kind of creepy, uneasy stuff. Um, and then it's it's probably it's even more so with this Miss Nova character that we are following. Um, her face is eventually revealed to us before the end of the comic and she looks an awful lot like Charles Xavier but like a female version of Charles Xavier and we find out that the dentist that she's talking to is actually a Trask Um, so related to the character Bolivar Trask who um, I think created the Sentinels and we know as well I know as a movie fan from um, X-Men Days of Future Past Um, and so the idea is that she's basically using him to be able to um gain access to the Sentinels and all of this advanced technology so she can set off uh, set set off missiles, basically, one of which is aimed at the island of Genosha, which is apparently a an island in the comics which is very highly populated with mutants. In fact, it's kind of like uh, the base camp of Magneto and Emma Frost and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. And she manages to murder kind of 16 million people in one fell swoop. Um, So, and this is within two issues. So it's really, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty intense straight away. Um, And it only gets more so than that because it leads the the mutants eventually become aware of Nova. um, Who, in fact, we find out is actually called Cassandra Nova. Um, and uh, their battle with her kind of brings her to the X-Mansion where they hope they've imprisoned her, Um, but it doesn't quite work that way, and she attempts to get to Cerebro to um, basically send out um, some... like, use her mind powers, because she is also a mutant um, on a similar level to Charles Xavier, to kind of kill a bunch more mutants using Cerebro. Um, Emma Frost is ultimately able to stop her, but there's also some like really, really dark moment where Charles Xavier is holding a gun to his own head, saying he will kill himself rather than, rather than let her do what she wants to do. Um, in fact, that's not right at this moment. That was actually in an earlier in an earlier scene, I think, in one of the comics before where they were 
um, unwittingly, or Charles was unwittingly communicating with her um, psycho, um, telekinetically um, or telepathically at that point, and he basically stops her at that point by threatening to kill himself. Um, at this point, they attack her. Um, it's all very confusing. X Men comics usually are, but Emma Frost is able to stop her just in time um, and basically snaps her neck. Um, and as she's dying, she starts muttering something, and Charles Xavier comes and shoots her before she can um, she can kind of regain any kind of strength or attempt to fight back. Um, so it's kind of dark. It's kind of brutal. Like I say, there's this big extinction level event at the center of these uh, of this arc. Um, but yeah, there is there is something more unsettling underneath it, and I couldn't quite get my head around around it entirely. Um, I will admit, I afterwards, unfortunately, um, there was a couple of things both in this comic and the fourth issue in this recommendation of Seb's, which was the um, annual, um, which I I kind of googled a character and was like, huh, I wonder if that character had shown up before. Like, I wonder if I'm supposed to know that character, or or I'm, I wonder whether that character stuck around because they seem pretty cool. I wonder whether that character will show back up in future uh, issues. Um, and managed to give myself massive spoilers for Grant Morrison's run on uh, New X Men, not once but twice. Um, and um, yeah, it did kind of confirm to me a couple of things about probably why I found this so unsettling. One event in particular, I was like, oh, so that's why that sat so unpleasantly with me. Um, yeah, so my own fault, I would recommend if anyone reads this, don't do any Googling around it. It's very easy to get yourself spoiled. I mean, probably there's people saying, how have you got this far and haven't been spoiled on this massive famous x-men arc but i hadn't um and now i have um but nonetheless i would very much like to continue reading this um i i thoroughly enjoyed it i enjoyed the uh the one-off issue as well which was um kind of taking the x-men to china to fight a character uh well not to fight but to encounter a mutant called zorn who again is one of these mad grant morrison concepts who his mutant power is that his brain was replaced by a son so he's trying to commit suicide and by doing that is essentially creating a black hole inside his own head which could threaten China's existence if not the world's and this is in kind of like a one-off uh, annual issue um, so yeah there was there was an awful lot about this I liked and a lot of the Grant Morrison quirks that I think I'm becoming slightly used to slightly more used to after reading more and more of his comics through recommendations on this show uh, but yeah, it really did make me want to keep reading this arc and kind of um, experience. Uh, you know, if I read two spoilers for this comic, I'm sure there was a lot more than that that would uh, that will pop up along the way. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, I haven't spoiled the entire thing for myself. But yes, I will double down on what I said before, which is do not Google this comic. Just read it. Just bring it up on Comicsology or on Marvel Unlimited or however you want to read it but don't Google it. Uh, okay, so that was um, Seb's recommendation, which I double down on and highly recommend. Um, and I'll move on to James's recommendation now, which was four single issues from uh, throughout history, which are kind of important to the X-Men overall. Um, so we'll start off with the very first one, which is um, from 
it's from Uncanny X-Men. In fact, it's Uncanny X-Men number one. And um, this is written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby. Um, and so he's kind of real classic X-Men, uh, real classic Marvel stuff. And on the front page, it says, The strangest superheroes of all in the sensational Fast Fantastic Four style. And yeah, this really <laughs> did feel like Fantastic Four style as well. Like... Beast in this is pretty much like Ben Grimm and Jean feels a little bit Sue Stormish and Iceman feels a little bit Johnny Stormish and Cyclops feels um, like um, Mr. Fantastic and then you've got um, Angel who is kind of, I don't have an easy analogy right here for Angel so I won't give you one. Um, but you've also, you have also got um, Professor X, who is key here, and then the main mutant is Magneto. So this is Magneto's introduction as well. Um, and it's kind of uh, classic Marvel, very wordy, um, very uh, verbose kind of purple prose from uh, Stan Lee. Um, but it's kind of a fun little issue, and it's split into two halves. It's the four characters, the first four, the four male X-Men Um doing kind of, I think, what will probably later become Danger Room stuff, but doing kind of some training uh, under Professor X's tutelage. Um, then Jean Grey comes to the school, and pretty much everyone apart from Iceman um, inappropriately propositions her and leches after her, and um, yeah, that wasn't great. Uh, but then she kind of uh, does stand up for herself and kind of humiliates um, Beast when he is trying to... Um, stroke her face I think um, and um, and then the, the entire team is eventually sent off to fight against Magneto um, and um, I guess what I was just thinking about this is that Magneto his powers are pretty cool and even back then his his powers just just seeing him fight here he does seem to, to be a kind of a cool kind of villain like he makes all these kind of like um, he he uh, yeah, in fact, I'll just read it. Appearing as though by magic over the heads of the astonished troops, huge letters take shape, composed of the dust particles from the air itself, skillfully magnetised into a message by the unseen mutant. So, it's a fun power. It's a power that you can do lots of different stuff with. He's swinging around tanks here and doing all sorts. Um, and it's nice seeing the these mutants go and battle him. And it was also nice, given that a previous recommendation on this show was um, X-Men Season 1, um, that this comic, uh, that, that that this comic reminded me of that one. Although I'm sure it's supposed to be the other way around, because there is a very similar scene where they go to an airbase, which I'm sure was inspired by this, and they go and fight Magneto. So that was nice. I think I read those two the wrong way around, probably, but it was it was a nice comparison. I would say the biggest shocker from this issue was finding out that Scott Summers is not called Scott Summers; he's called Slim Summers. Now, what a revelation that is. Um, and in my next uh, comment that I'm going to get to, I'll find out that I didn't... I've been knowing the Hulk by the wrong name all, all the time as well. That it calls him Dr. Robert Bruce Banner in that. And not, to doctor, not Dr. Bruce Banner. He's one of those people that's been going by their middle name all their life and you never know. <sighs> so anyway, there was a couple of a couple of big revelations for me in, in these regards. Um... So this first X-Men issue, it's fun. Um, uh, you, you can you can kind of you can kind of see the the core concepts in there that there are these, you know, um, 
super-powered character who are, who are a little bit different than all the other super-powered characters that they seem to exist in their own little corner of the Marvel Universe. And um, it's straight away set up that basically there are mutants and there are some mutants that want to use their power for so good and there are some mutants that want to take over the world so that mutants can rule um, and that Professor X has a school where he's going to try and train the good X-Men to fight against the bad mutants um and it's perfectly fine it's it's a, a nice little historical context um issue but probably not my favorite of all of these um the next one was incredible hulk number 181 uh james recommended this because it is uh, notably the comic that introduces wolverine um, and this comic was um, written by Len Wein and Herb Trimpey was the artist, um, I believe. And this is great. Um, it's it's great because of Wolverine. Um, you, you've got Hulk up in Canada fighting um, a character called the Wendigo. The Wendigo? The Wendigo? The Wendigo? I forgot. God, this is embarrassing. What's his name? The Wendigo. Um, and um, basically because he's in Canada um, Hull and Hull and Wolverine works with the Canadian government because he is Weapon X he's been sent to take down the Hulk so you kind of get Wolverine fighting the Hulk and then each of them kind of fighting the Wendigo at various points as well um, there is some stuff going on with that character throughout the comic um, which looking back in this comic now I'm sure that the writers of the issue were like well you know it has to It's it's more, he's more important than the Wolverine and the who he is is more important and the stuff that's going on with the characters around him is more important. Reading this back, all all you're here for is Wolverine, so it's kind of it's weird that the kind of the issue ends on kind of cliffhangery stuff with those characters rather than Wolverine, who is um kind of done with in the context of the issue, two or three pages before the end, and then we deal with the other stuff. But you get a sense of Wolverine's attitude. You get a sense that he is um, that he is a hero, even though he's kind of like a villain for Hulk in this issue. That he is a heroic character. He but he has that edge to him. Um, and um, the fight with Hulk is really well staged because you get to see Wolverine being really great in the way that he takes down the Wendigo. You get to see him being uh, a really tricksy opponent for the Hulk to fight against. Um, um, but yet you, you, uh, as probably had to happen in this issue, Hulk wins the fight, but he kind of just wins it. And even the way that he wins it, kind of Wolverine is able to lose the fight and not be absolutely obliterated by Hulk. Um, in fact, here's the description. Um, give the Wolverine credit. He senses what's coming, then snaps his head aside with such speed that the blow is only a glancing one. And it's probably that that saves that. And it's probably that, plus his astonishing stamina that saves his life. Um, his healing factor is not explicitly dealt with here. Um, but that is maybe a hint towards it, or maybe what led to it. Um, and it continues to say, For by rights, even a glancing blow from fists that can shatter mountains should be fatal. And Hulk says, Little man tried to trick Hulk, but Hulk was smarter, Hulk was stronger, and that is why Hulk won. Um, and yeah, and then we deal with the silly stuff after that. Um, but it was it was um, a fun issue. It's probably the the one that requires the least um, explanation here. Um, but yeah, um, you can see why Wolverine is a character that they would want to revisit after after just reading that. Um, 
I'll go to my favourite one now. I'm going through these chronologically, um, but my favourite one by some distance from from these was Giant Size X Men number one, which is a senses shattering first issue. Um, claims the uh, claims the <laughs> front page, um, and this is written again by Len Wein. Um, yes, written written again by Len Wein. I hope I'm saying his name right because I've said it multiple times now. Um, and Dave Cockrum. Um, and uh, yeah, this is a comic that introduces a whole kind of new team of X-Men. So the idea behind the issue is that uh, your usual X-Men have gone missing. Now, these aren't the uh, these aren't completely the original team. Yes, yeah, so a beast has departed at this point. Um, Cyclops is the main guy throughout the issue because he is the one member of the team who hasn't gone missing. Uh, but Angel... Iceman, Marvel Girl, and then the two new members are Lorna Dane, who, even after reading this issue, I don't know an awful lot about, um, and his younger brother, Alex Summers, Havoc. Um, And so they've all gone missing, and Professor X, to help find them, has decided to go around the world and recruit a whole new group of mutants to help him, to help Cyclops go back to the island where they went missing, an island called Krakoa, um, and find them. So we go to Germany, where he finds Nightcrawler. We go to Canada, where he finds uh, Wolverine. Um, We go to Nashville, Tennessee, um, but it's there that he finds the Irish Banshee. And (laughs) um, all of these characters kind of try to be written in their accents, and Banshees is hilarious. I had heard this before, but... Uh, I couldn't quite prepare myself for his opening line, which is, Bagara, tis Professor X himself now, um, which was fantastic. Um, <laughs> he goes to Africa, uh, Kenya specifically, I think, where he recruits Storm, um, a uh, very topless Storm who um, is having her modesty, protected, uh, her modesty protected by her hair for most of the time. Um, we go to Japan, where Sunfire is recruited, to Russia, where we find Colossus. Um, And then we have the uh, Native American character who is recruited from Arizona, who I believe is called John Proudstore, but they call him something different, which um, I can't remember, but they keep referring to him by a different name and he's not entirely delighted by it. Thunderbird, that's it. He is Thunderbird. So anyway, these characters come together and there's immediately some kind of, uh, there's there's kind of a little bit of rivalry, all the characters are bouncing off each other. And in fact, Sunfire quits the team within seconds, um, only I think to reappear on the very next page or, or maybe two pages later. Uh, so he runs off and then returns, which is uh, bonkers. Um and so I'm not sure what the point of that was. Maybe that led to something. But yeah, so he kind of quits the team and then he's back without any explanation. Um, so Cyclops takes them all back to this island and they kind of decide to attack the island from different uh, different sides. North, south, east and west, basically. They split off into pairs. Um, and so you kind of get to see all of the characters use their powers um, and fight different threats. And then as they find the mutants who have all been kind of tied up and they are um, kind of, it looks like they're having almost their power leached by these kind of vines. They discover that the island is actually the mutant is the island itself. Um, 
And yeah, that, that basically all of the original X-Men went to this island to find a mutant in the first place, but there was no mutant there because the island was a mutant and it wanted them to feed off of. Um, and so then they have a big fight with the island and there is some silly physics that I think Storm channels her lightning into uh, the Lorna character who then channels that pressure down into the earth and then the earth then the earth's crust fires back and fires the island of Krukoa up into the sky and out into outer space um so it's very very silly um all all of that but you can see immediately here how much potential there is in all of these characters and how it kind of expands the idea of what the X-Men is uh, by making the team international, which is fun, and by presenting a load of characters who you want to know a little bit more about. And this is the kind of X-Men issue that would make me want to read more X-Men. And I have struggled with X-Men recommendations on this podcast before. Um, but, you know, we've had two on the podcast today where I would like to read the rest of um, Morrison's run after this. And I would like to see what Marvel did with the X-Men um, after Giant Size X-Men number one, which I, you know, I've always heard is the one that kind of kicked things off and led shortly afterwards to Chris Claremont taking this idea forward and doing amazing stuff with it and turning it into a fantastic superhero soap opera. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked this and I, I would again want to kind of read more following on from this Giant Size X-Men team that's established and seeing how they interact with the original four X-Men and uh, what happens with the X-Men moving forward from that point. Um, we'll now go to our final uh, recommendation, which is um, Avengers Annual number 10. Now, this was recommended by James as one of his favourite issues. It's the issue in which um, Carol Danvers has her powers stolen by Rogue. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, the Avengers King Size Annual number 10, and um, it is... Uh, written by Chris Claremont and um, penciled by Michael Golden. Um, and the story kicks off with Spider-Woman, who is um, neither an Avenger, because this is an Avengers comic, although it features the X-Men heavily, uh, nor an X-Man. She is a freelancer out of San Francisco, and she pulls Carol's body out of the water near the Golden Gate Bridge, does some investigating, figures out that this is um, this woman has uh, entirely lost her memory and seems to be kind of like a husk of a person, and uh, yet she is Carol Danvers. So the first thing he does, she does, is call for Professor X's fault, uh, for for Professor Professor X's help to try and unpack her brain by using his uh, powers, um, and then the Avengers are called in because they figure out that it was Rogue that did it, and also that Miss Marvel was recently an Avenger. Um, so what you kind of get is this big crossover comic between the Avengers and the X-Men. Um, and the two teams kind of combine to try and take down Rogue, who is working with Mystique. Um, and uh, you find out that these are two very powerful mutants. She's able to uh, take all of Captain America's powers at one point. She's able to take some of uh, Thor's powers. Um, and because she absorbs those powers, she then proves very adept at fighting characters whose powers she she can't take so she 
she can fight against Vision and she can fight against Wonder Man, for instance, um, and have a degree of success. Um, and I, I was actually surprised, given how much I'd heard that this was um, about Carol Danvers, who would then, I think, go on to become kind of a member of the supporting cast of the X-Men. Um, how little she's in this comic, uh, because it's basically that event has happened at the start. Um, that event has something to do with um, her last story as part of the Avengers, which had come a few a few issues before, um, and isn't really resolved until the very end. Most of the comic ends up just being fights between the characters. And I enjoyed it up to a point. Um, the last fight, the last big fight goes on a little bit too long for my liking. Um, I struggled with, with it a little bit. It's all kind of like, and this is this move that's going to be established. And then this character is going to get the other hand. But in this other part of the fight, this character is getting an upper hand. And Scarlet Witch is doing this. And oh, what's Wonder Man doing? And Hawkeye. But then oh, what's Wolverine doing? And there are some other evil mutants who are unleashed like the Blob. Um, and Destiny Um, and yeah it does become just a bit of a a ruckus for a time Um, and it ends up with this kind of big emotional confrontation after the day has been saved between Carol Danvers who has lost most of her memory uh, but is slowly having it brought back to her with help from the X-Men and she's able to kind of have this confrontation with the Avengers about something that had happened earlier in the run of the Avengers comics and that's why I couldn't really love this issue. It was probably my least favourite. Uh, maybe maybe kind of on a par with Uncanny X-Men. Just because this has this is probably has more good stuff and bad stuff, I would say. Whereas Uncanny X-Men is just kind of mediocre throughout. Um, but yeah, this this one... Um, the, the, the entire climax is kind of Carol calling back to something that's happened earlier in the Avengers run. Um, and it just it just wasn't something I knew about, so I couldn't really connect with the emotions or figure out whether what the characters were saying did ring true or not. Um, so it just felt a, a little bit hollow in what seemed like this big uh, watermark moment in the soap opera of the Avengers. Um, and I think I've struggled. I have struggled with Avengers recommendations on this podcast before, and Avengers comics probably as much as I have done X Men comics. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why that is, but I think Team Bucks may always be a bit more of a struggle for me than than solo titles. Um, it wasn't as if I hated this. I actually thought the story was quite fun. It was just a big old issue. It's like 40 pages and a lot of that is fighting. And I think probably had this issue been 20 pages long and I read the Avengers stories that preceded it. Um, I probably would have liked it a lot more. Um, but yeah, that was Avengers Annual 10. And um, yeah, that is um, all of the recommendations for this week. Um, so I would say um, my favourites out of these were Giant Size X-Men number one and the the kind of the whole Ears for Extinction arc of um, New X-Men. Uh, I also very much like it, liked Incredible Hulk 181 even if it was a little bit more slight um, but it was great to have some X-Men comics that I did very much enjoy and I'm sure there are more out there that I would enjoy if I dig into it a little bit more I think it might just be that 90s X-Men in particular is very intimidating to me um, but that is it for this week's show um, don't forget that now our next episode I was going to say next week's but it'll probably be here in a couple of days um, is our Doctor Strange episode uh, which was released in the UK last week and will be released in the US um, at the end of this week 
Um, if you're enjoying the show, then do please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. You can find more episodes of the show at cinematicmultiverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter at CU underscore podcast, or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of days' time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.